In today's competitive e-commerce environment, it's never been more important to earn and maintain the trust of your customers. Merchant Fraud Journal's To Catch a Fraudster podcast is supported by SIFT, the leader in digital trust and safety. SIFT empowers companies to stop fraud and grow without risk. Visit SIFT.com assessment to schedule a consultation with SIFT's trust and safety architects. Industry experts who have decades of fraud fighting experience at companies like Facebook, Square, and Google. They'll help create a custom plan for your business with an emphasis on technology, organizational structure, and process. Visit sift.com slash assessment today. And we're live. Jane, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. So this is uh, Jane Lee from SIFT. She's going to introduce herself, tell you a little bit more about her, her role, and then we're going to jump in. Um, yeah, sure. Uh, and thanks so much for that intro, Bradley. Uh, as mentioned, my name's Jane, and uh, I'm a trust and safety architect at SIFT. A big part of my role is to research new and emerging fraud trends and bring them back to businesses to, to um, help them be effective in the fight against fraud. And so SIFT, we are a machine learning platform um, that allows businesses to to fight various types of abuse, um, fraud, including content fraud, um, payment fraud, uh, and account takeovers, uh, among others. Well, thanks so much for being with us on the program. And this is going to be a really, really important episode because as you mentioned, you work with new and emerging forms of fraud, and we have quite the doozy on tap for our listeners today. You published a blog on the SIFT blog, blog.sift.com, back in February with the title, SIFT Fraud Alert, Pig Butchering Scam Couples Romance with Crypto. Please explain. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, as mentioned, uh, you know, a big part of my role is to research new and emerging trends. And so this um, is a scam that is actually called pig butchering um, by the scammers themselves. And um, basically how it works is, uh, well, to backtrack a little bit, um, the term is a translation or a loose translation from Chinese. Um, I think it roughly translates to kill pig slaughter. And they describe their victims as the pigs that they they plumpen up, they fatten up with um, these rewards and the romance and uh, affection, um, ultimately to to go in for the kill, to slaughter. And so it's a, uh, you know, if you ask me, it's a very morbid term. And um, yeah, that wasn't. I, I wish I would, could have said I, I came up with that name myself, and it's not me. <laughs> <laughs> because you're not a terrible human being. Um, so <laughs> let's start at the beginning. Take mm -hmm. us through how the scam starts, where people yeah. are found to have the scam perpetrated against them, and take us mm -hmm. into a little bit of the mindset of the fraudsters, the profile of the victim that they're looking for when they do mm -hmm. this. Yeah, sure. Um, I guess to first you know, go over how, you know, this came on my radar. Um, so we first discovered in our um, 
network of dating app customers that we work with at SIF that there was um, some anomalous activity. And so, um, you know, it warranted a second look. And when I when I took a closer look at it, being the occasional dating app user myself, I really quickly recognized, hey, this is excuse me, this is a trend that I have personally seen myself. And so what I did from there was I said, okay, rolled up my sleeves. I downloaded every single top dating app on the app store. Um, and I went out and went fishing and I tried was, to find I some. thought I was the only one that had done that, Jane. But I'm glad someone else is sharing my pain. I feel like we are of the same, you know, like we're in the same industry and, uh, you know, um, Got to take matters yeah, into your own hands. Yeah, sometimes. it was it was for work for sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's funny. My screenshot, uh, my sorry, my desktop had um, a bunch of screenshots I took of you know the dating app interfaces, and someone looked at it one day and was like, "Wow, that my people would think I would be so weird if my desktop looked like yours." But <laughs> um, <laughs> the way it kind of came onto my radar was. I guess the anatomy of how the scam works, you first find the scammers on the apps or they find you, um, you know, and they'll very quickly use um, very flattering terms. So things like, hey, beautiful, or hey, you're so pretty, you know, um, flattering words like that, that I think anyone would like to hear. And um, and they quickly, within the, the first few days, actually move the conversation over to an encrypted messaging app, the common one being WhatsApp here. And of course, the reason why that they want to move to the, the third party encrypted platform is because it makes it that much harder for any single platform to detect them, right? So you might not be com committing fraud on on one platform, but when you look at the different types of fraud being committed at different steps on different platforms, holistically, it does look it does look bad. So once they move over to once we the conversation moves over to WhatsApp, then what uh, happens is the romance. And so it starts off in um, a similar way to the old school romance scams, right? And so you have a lot of again flattery, promising of lavish gifts. I think one of the scammer boyfriends that I was engaging with, he suggested that, and again, this is really like within the first week, I would say, he suggested that we go on a trip to Osaka together and really love bombing, I think is the right term. They really <laughs> begin to love term. bomb. <laughs> I've oh, never it's, heard it's that a term. term. Yeah, it's a term. And it's actually a really unhealthy behavior in relationships, in real relationships, because you're basically like projecting, I think, on the person. There's a lot of like, psychology and behavioral sciences that I'm into that talks about the toxicity of love bombing, but the effectiveness of it when it comes to manipulative relationships. So they do the love bombing, laying it hard with the, the flattery affection. And then they gradually start introducing like hey, their, their lavish lifestyle. Hey, I do really well on investments. Hey, how, you know, I think it's really important to have financial freedom. So they try to really position themselves as successful business people or successful financial investors. And then gradually the love bombing moves on to becoming more of a manipulative relationship. And so they will say things to you like, hey, I almost like forgot your existence. Hey, why don't I hear from you more often? I, of course, didn't want to give or show my cards right away or ever, in fact, to them. And so I was kind of taking it slow to really 
stay undercover. But these scammers would say things like that to me and that I wasn't like responding fast enough. And then, of course, they would also tell me about how much I was missing out by not investing in in Bitcoin and crypto. So inevitably, the conversation moves over to crypto. They send over screenshots. Um, of course, they're very Photoshop or taken from elsewhere where it says, hey, I made $10,000 today trading Bitcoin. Like, what have you done? You're missing out. You could have made this much if you had acted sooner. And so what this does, this part of the, you know, the relationship, the manipulative part is it really creates a sense of urgency and like a call to action on the victim. And so finally you gave in and I said, hey, okay, maybe um, actually interesting thing. I, I, I suggested to the scammer, hey, maybe we meet up for a, a drink and you can teach me about Bitcoin in person. And their response was they had some business trip that they had to go to and another business trip after that. So, but until then, here, I can teach you how to how to do it over text, right? And then comes the, the unique part, I would say, about this scam where the crypto portion comes in. So eventually, I, you know, I took the bait knowingly. And what they do afterwards is they direct you to, to one, either set up or use your existing crypto wallet or crypto exchange that you purchase cryptocurrency on. This means that legitimate people are going through the KYC checks. So I had already had an account. Um, that I use. Uh, and then what they try to get you to do is they will then direct you to a, a third party platform that they completely control. So they sent me a website and they said, here, you should use, you should use this platform. This is like, it's better for returns or it's better for like its speed or whatever reason that they, they threw out. Of course, this website that they allegedly claim as claim to be a crypto trading platform is 100% controlled by them. The thing that makes it scary, though, is that it really feels real. At your at the, the homepage, your dashboard, it will show values of various popular cryptocurrencies. And if someone were to do a Google search and say, okay, let me just cross check to confirm this is the actual price of Bitcoin, it is. And so they're using some API somewhere to really like have that real-time value show on their website as well. The website also has its very own 24-7 customer service that I used when I had trouble accessing my account. And, you know, it really wow. shows, yeah, it, it's pretty bizarre. And and it, it when I started with my quote-unquote investment, I, I put in $100 and I think I made like $10 in four minutes or something like that, right? But of course, those numbers are being manipulated entirely by the scammer on the other end to show like you're you're making some some money, and then uh, and then of course the scammer then suggests, hey, okay, you put in a hundred dollars, why don't you try a thousand this time? And that was a little too too much for me to be comfortable with at that point, so I I, I seized communication with them at that point. Wow. And so I guess what they're doing is you're basically <clears throat> just depositing money into an account for them. Uh, yeah. So so they basically, when you create an account on their pseudo trading platform, there's a wallet address that they say, hey, like use your wherever you hold your crypto, use that to send it to this wallet address. And so you, of course, send it, you hit confirm, I sent, and then they magically, you know, that balance is now reflected on your fake crypto platform account. Right. And the wallet address is actually their crypto wallet. So you've just exactly. transferred them the money. Exactly. And actually, I didn't mention this, but I did track 
So over the course of my investigation, this investigation actually took, I think I spent three or four months, three to four months on it. And over the three of that period of time, the wallet address changed three different times, which isn't normal, right? If that wallet address actually belonged to you, unless you change it for whatever reason, or, you know, you create a new wallet that should stay rather constant, I would say. So what I did was each time, well, the first time I, I looked up that the wallet on the blockchain and just to see the transactions. And over the course of the investigation, the wallets that were supposedly associated with my account, I think they were, they received something like $130,000 or the equivalent of 130,000 US dollars. Wow. Yeah. That is sick. So these people are, are going out and they are manipulating vulnerable, I assume mostly women, but I assume also some men as well to transfer them this this money take me through if you can some of the psychology behind here i want to dive into the mechanics but i'm i'm too curious because you brought it up how these types of scams work in general any time that you are manipulating someone emotionally because a lot of times in our industry we talk about tons of different types of fraud but they nine times out of ten are what i'll call technical they're people who are stealing passwords or people who are hacking information, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This is particularly nefarious because the gateway is emotional manipulation. So take me yeah. through in your experience what that looks like on both ends of the equation. I think just to, to state the obvious, I think, you know, coming out of pretty strict pandemic lockdowns has not helped in the success of this scam. And so I think you have a bunch of very lonely single people that are eager to go out there and and find a partner. And so they're on the apps looking for that. And then on the other side of the equation, you also have the, I don't know if resurgence is the right word, but emergence maybe, emergence of crypto. Like crypto is a very hot topic right now. And you know, I, I'm starting to attend conferences again and crypto is the topic that is at every conference, every session. So it's a very current, I don't want to say fad, but a current thing. And you also at the same time hear about people that are doing very well or have done really well and made a lot of money with crypto. And so I think the marriage of those two, the crypto craze, as well as the pandemic loneliness is it, it brews this perfect storm for victims to be susceptible. Right. Yeah, I think, again, like romance scams are not particularly a new thing. They have existed for a while in various different forms. This one is just a little, uh, I think, romance scam, I don't want to say elevated, but like on steroids, probably, because there's that the platform that they control. But I think in all types of romance scams, I would say yes, I think there are a lot of women that are targeted. And a lot of the victim stories that I'm hearing are have been women, but I have also been approached by men, you know, since since the blog went out, since the stories have, have gone out, men um, coming forward as victims as well. And so I don't think it's very limited to to one specific group anymore. 
I think with women, particularly initially when, you know, this, this scam was first coming to light, what made it, what made women so susceptible, part of it at least, is that the conversations around crypto have primarily been dominated by men. So I think because of the lack of maybe like representation has to do with either victims being maybe unempowered to, to, to do some research themselves or to, to ask the questions. And then, you know, once the scam does happen to even come out as victims, I think. So I want to talk about the scam itself. And then I have a couple of follow-up questions. Mm -hmm. Take me through how these fraudsters are building such realistic platforms and the amount of the amount of ingenuity that's going into these types of things. You've you've said that the idea of a romance scam is very old, which I think most people listening know and would agree with. I'm curious about the level of technological innovation here that's going into these types of scams. And if you think that there's a correlation between the sophistication of the fraudsters and the success of the scam, and if you think that there are ways that people can detect these things not just at a conversational level, but also at a technological level. Yeah. So I think, so the first part of your question in terms of the technological sophistication, I, I mean, we're seeing the tech advancements across the boards on the, the fraudster side, right? And so I speaking in terms of other types of fraud, credential stuffing, bots are becoming a way more prevalent problem that is impacting merchants and businesses across the board. And so I think that is a very telling story of the advancements that, that the bad actors are making. And for this in particular, for pig butchering, the reason why I describe it as romance scam on steroid is that that trading platform, like I mentioned, you know, you want to cross check just to make sure that this is a legitimate platform. Hey, I just want to check to see if this is what Ethereum is actually worth or Bitcoin or Dogecoin, whichever the dashboard shows it. And so if you don't go in thinking that you have to really cross check everything, you really don't think to do it. And I also want to emphasize that this is someone that you've been developing a relationship with over the past few months. So there's that level of trust that has already been built. And so, yes, when they take you to this platform, the website existing alone, I think, is a huge advancement when it comes to like romance scam sophistication. But of course, you know, your your boyfriend or your someone you're dating or you've been dating directs you to to the strain platform. And I, I think it's most people don't think twice to to check the all the tech specs, let's say, to to see if it's fraudulent or not. Do you have any advice for people? how they can go about this. I know the technology specifically is maybe not your exact point of expertise, but in mm -hmm. your experience, what are some of the broad red flags that people can be looking for in any scenario, but specifically this one that indicate fraudster built technology? I'll address this to like in two parts. So one toward consumers and one toward businesses. And so from a consumer perspective, you know, there are small either like grammatical errors or spelling errors that I did find on on the platform. But of course, you know, these people 
are posing themselves to be or positioning themselves to be overseas. So, you know, they, they claim it's a, it's a Hong, it's a Hong Kong based trading platform or, you know, whatever foreign platform. But if you're starting to notice some red flags like spelling errors or grammatical errors, that's, that should be a red flag. What I also tell individuals to do is do a Google search or an app store search of the platform. So yeah, maybe you Googled to confirm whether the price of Bitcoin is the actual price of Bitcoin and that checked out, but does it have a presence on the app store? Is it indexed by Google? The website I used was not not on any of what I just mentioned. And so that's another red flag, I would say. And then I think the financial literacy is a huge piece, not just for toward crypto, but in general. I think if you understand what a wallet is, what that means, that that should actually belong to you, that you can actually track everything coming in and out of a wallet. You can go in a deeper level to to check those two as well to see, is this a legitimate service that I'm using? From the business perspective, I think this is where you kind of have to match the fraudster's energy and also leverage the right technologies that will allow you to, to detect them effectively. What is really scary about fraud, I think the way it's becoming is these fraudsters know they know particular IP addresses that are reputable or that belong to particular ISPs. So it will look like, hey, they're coming, they're using a T-Mobile, they're coming from a T-Mobile phone or their provider is T-Mobile. And and, if, and that makes it all the more difficult for in-house systems or broad systems to detect whether they're suspicious or not. However, where technology can help you is hey, if you have a cluster of bad actors that are doing very similar things, so they're, they're from a dating app context, let's say they are swiping 100% of the time on trying to match with people, right? So if you pair that with weird IPs or common devices or common user agents, right? Then that becomes a more telling story when the behaviors show you that, hey, this cluster of behavior is it um, looks anomalous, which is how we detected it. So sorry, that's a long-winded answer. There's a, the businesses need to do their due diligence and leveraging technology to match the technological advancements. And then of course the consumer tips that I think are equally as important. The consumer education is important as well. So that's a really good segue into another question that I have here surrounding brand reputation. So I'm looking at Mm -hmm. the blog that you posted which I highly recommend everybody go and check out and we'll link to in the show notes. And you say in the blog that they take the conversation virtually up to WhatsApp, some kind of encrypted platform because they don't want to get caught. And what's interesting to me about that is something we haven't spoken about yet in this conversation, which is the platforms themselves, the dating sites and their role in all of this. I assume they don't want this going on on their platform, obviously. Take me through some of the risks that they run by having this activity on their platforms and what types of measures they're taking to try and reduce it. And if there has been in your research any brand reputation damage that's been done 
because people know that these types of scams are going on on the platform or maybe people just accept that that's a a feature, so to speak, no pun intended, of the platform. There's nothing that they can do about it. But I assume these, these platforms are not indifferent to what's going on here. Take us through some of the risks that you've seen, if you've spoken with victims, how they felt about the platforms, how they go into their communities, both virtual or in real life, and talk about what happened to them and the chilling effect that that may or may not have on the reputation of the platform and what that says in general for all businesses out there about the need to cut down on fraud even if it's not the traditional types of somebody hacked your website because that's something we talk a lot about here and i don't think it's emphasized enough is Mm -hmm. that these types of scams especially with the crypto now going on even though they're not hurting the platform's bottom line, let's say, like a chargeback would, it can do, I assume, and correct me if I'm wrong, immeasurable damage to their brand, which of course translates into damage to their their bottom line. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, well, you know, even in the past few months, um, you know, there are Netflix documentaries on you know, scams being run on Tinder, the Tinder swindler being being one of them. Um, brand reputation is something that I always say is, it's like hard to get people to prioritize. Um, but once it's lost, it's hard to quantify as well, right? And then once it's lost, it's very hard to, to, to gain back. Um, and I think there are notable platforms, you know, in recent history where, you know, this is very evident. I, I'm not going to name names, but, uh, uh, and, and so the responsibility is absolutely on the platforms to make sure that their fake and abusive accounts are, are not getting the reach that they currently are. Um, and I think it's also very, I don't know why I do this, but I also have been looking at the reviews of the dating apps on the platform, uh, on the the app store, the reviews, because I do that for fun. (laughs) And and there are tons of reviews on the fake accounts. I don't know. Yeah, this is just how I am. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And so the the people are catching on to it. I think we are hearing a lot more people come forward about this problem. There have been names that have been mentioned in the news um especially when it in such when you're in such a saturated market where you offer a very similar service to a competitor where the difference might be in you know very like benign or you know unimportant features you cannot afford to lose your customers and and, and that reputation and have that reputation amongst um people who are not yet your customers. Uh, You know, there's uh, just do a simple search on the app stores of dating apps. And there are, I mean, you could scroll for quite some time. Um, And so you don't want to be basically digging your own grave when it comes to, um, because you couldn't 
enforce on on a, on a fake account problem like this. How are people going public with these types of things when they occur? I know your specific experiment or foray here was very heavily covered in the press, but in terms of the actual communities of people, where do people go? Do you have any examples you can give me of someone who came forward with this scam and are they blasting it out on Twitter? Are they, where are they going? What what does this look like for brands who might want to be monitoring this kind of thing? Yeah. So I have personally, since my, the stories, you know, have can't come out. I have been contacted on LinkedIn myself by, by people that have um, fallen victim to the scam. Um, I, I have seen an online forums like Reddit, um, people kind of uh, outlining what happened to them, how much they lost. And then of course the media, if you are able to get, um, press coverage, um, the sad thing about this scam, I think there's a lot of shame involved in it. Once someone realizes that they were, um, they were conned. And so I think the tendency is for a lot of people, they just suffer in silence, which is very sad. Um, but, you know, as sad as that is, I'm pleased to see that it is getting more publicity right now because I think that's the only way that people are going to hear about it. That, you know, there's, I, I know so many people on dating apps and, you know, and the next time they encounter someone that says, hey, you want to invest in Bitcoin? They will know that, hey, this feels a lot like the scam that I heard about. Um, the other unfortunate, I guess, part of my response is that there is no real, like, centralized, um, place, I think, to report. Like, you can, you I always encourage people to either report it to, like, if you're in the U.S., the FBI, IC3, um, I think the FTC also has a, a scam form. Um, I always encourage this because it allows them to start tallying or at least understanding how big the problem is so that they can either hold, you know, they can hold someone liable or, or at least look into it. And so sure, it might feel like, you know, your report's not going anywhere, but I, I do believe that it is doing something um, by doing that. But I think... Um, most people don't know that or they, they choose not to do it because of the shame. So take me into the technical end here. How do merchants go about detecting these types of accounts, especially mm -hmm. because when you're talking about these dating apps or other similar types of situations, the usual ways that we would detect these things are largely irrelevant because people aren't buying things here from the site they're not mm -hmm. browsing a, a virtual catalog all these types of signals that we might use to determine fraud intent or possibility are not there so take me through how a platform or a merchant that has these this type of a dynamic can mm -hmm. go about setting up a defensive wall or shield to try and find these accounts and mm -hmm. shut down as many of them as possible. Yeah. Um, so the, let me think. So how you, 
you're basically so businesses and merchants you they are already ingesting a lot of passive signals right and i think the question is how are you or are you ingesting those wisely um and are you you know running analysis on them. And so, um, for example, I, I talked about the ISP or the mobile service provider, T-Mobile here in the U.S. being a big one, Verizon. Um, this is actually a very real example uh, when I was doing my investigations. Is it common for one user to have uh, to come out of a, to have two different mobile service providers? Yeah, sure. Maybe they have two phones, one for personal, one for work, but I would say most people uh, have have one phone. So if you see that someone looks like they are using T-Mobile and then they are using Verizon, um, that warrants a second look, right? But are you able to see that? Does your tooling allow you to see that type of information? Um, the other thing, these bad actors, I you know, they, while they target the many, and I do believe that there is a network of them, um, they are not using, you know, one-to-one -one computers in that, hey, I, or one-to-one -one, uh, devices, right? So they're not using one device per every fake account that they're creating. They're using one device to create many different accounts. And so um, are you able to see uh, users that all share the same device fingerprints that are sharing uh, the like uh, are likely sharing the device. Um, those are just some of the the ways and the uh, the characteristics of the accounts that that I've been seeing. That if you are uh, looking into the data that you do receive, if you're in, looking into it intelligently, um, you should be able to to be able to set up your defense to be able to flag users like that. So along those same lines, another key part of this scam, as you've mentioned, is it's really merging several different new technologies together. You have the mm -hmm. encrypted messaging apps, you have the dating platforms, you have the crypto, everything's kind of being thrown together here. Mm -hmm. In general, in your experience, what is the best way for merchants to go about trying to protect against these type of emerging scams because the technology changes so quickly now and things mm -hmm. are so rapid. Fraudsters are always in a certain sense seem to be one step ahead of the people playing defense. Yeah. How do people shorten their learning curve in general and prepare for the evolution of technology throughout throughout the years? Yeah. Um, so I always, you know, I always look toward moving away from the reactive approach and being more proactive. And that's where I think machine learning really gives that advantage because machine learning, you know, you train on data and eventually it picks up on, you know, newer trends and um, you know you could go supervise or unsupervised the benefit of supervised is that you're always training data so that you are um, hopefully catching these new trends before they actually happen versus hey if you're a little more um, behind in technology adoption uh, and you're just looking at customer reports or users that have a high number of flags count flags um, against them, uh, it's it's actually too late, right? The account has already been created. But if you are 
a few steps ahead of the game and your technology is, is, is noticing, hey, this particular IP address has created way too many accounts in the past like day or so, um, let's take a closer look at that. So maybe they haven't yet reached out or communicated with your user base. Um, maybe they haven't asked someone to move over to WhatsApp yet, but that behavior itself warrants a second look. So you can um, you can choose to apply whatever friction, dynamic friction that you would like there. You can either choose to, hey, watch the account. Let's wait until they, um, you know, they they make a, a next wrong move, um, or you can choose to enforce on it at that point if it looks suspicious enough. Um, but I really moving away from reactive uh, to a more proactive approach is the way to go here. Do you think that there's something to be said as well for being able to get out in front of the trends by diving into these types of scams the way you have? Or is this a kind of don't try this at home kids scenario? You mean don't try my undercover work? Yeah, don't, 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 <laughs> don't, don't voluntarily wade into the, the shark pool um, with the intent of, of trying to gain information. You do work at SIFT on emerging trends. It would seem to me that the best way to find the emerging trends would be to do exactly what you did in, in a professional and controlled way to jump in and try to mm -hmm. see what people are doing, what people are up to, because it, it is so hard to, to think of the next thing mm -hmm. as opposed to just kind of putting yourself out there like bait on a hook and seeing what comes in. Is, is that approach something that you would recommend for your average fraud team out there? Yeah, I will say I got all the approvals I needed before I, I went undercover here with, internally. Okay. So I would for sure recommend if you are on a fraud team, you know, let the appropriate people know, let legal know, let your manager know um, that, that you're doing this. Uh, so I did go through those approvals um, before embarking on this. I, me and my team, we do do this um, because I think that's just the way to be honest, as individuals, I think that's, we just want to understand how something like what it means, what does it mean? So, uh, you know, one of my teammates, Brittany, I think you've spoken to me before, like she and I love mm -hmm. doing this type of work where you just go undercover. Do you have to No, I think there's a way let's use the example of logins, right? I think that's an easy one to understand, right? You can have a dashboard that shows you, okay, um, in a given hour, I'm just throwing out an easy number. And mm -hmm. a, a given hour on my platform, it's normal to have 100,000 logins in an hour, every hour from different users. If you have that tracking mechanism in place, the second you see, hey, we see a 20% spike in logins, that's a good signal that you might either be under attack or something's going on that warrants a second look. So there's a way to be proactive about things in that way. Before, like, yes, a login done by the wrong person is dangerous, but there's more damage that is done afterwards. That's where the real damage is done. So, you know, you can decide to monitor. You don't always have to go undercover and um, investigate. You have some more, I guess, objective ways of monitoring. However, I do encourage, and I do this when I speak with customers and prospects, I do recommend stress testing your system because I think that'll tell you a lot about where your vulnerabilities are, are are as well. So if you had to give 
two to three best practices for fraud professionals listening that are thinking about doing this type of strategy tactic execution? What would it, what would those, those best practice general? I mean, obviously uh, this is not a uh, financial advice and should not be taken as such, you know, yeah. but, uh, but just in general, when you go to do these things, what are three of the things that you're, you're thinking strategically at a high level, either about how to be successful, how to protect mm-hmm. yourself, both anything you want to mention? Yeah. Uh, so the first, and I think this should be the objective of doing this. Uh, and the, this is the reason why I went in and did it is I wanted to make sure that sift was working for our dating app customers so go into it understanding like okay what your problem is and what problem you're trying to solve and making sure that you can then like take learnings from that to make your product work or make it effective secondly i would i would again say lean toward proactive um, versus reactive sure there are reactive signals that you can look at in your overall proactive strategy. So a good example here would be user flags or user reports. So if you have, maybe you don't want to review each individual user report that comes in, but hey, if a user hits a threshold of five reports in a day and also had 20 other accounts that were created from that same IP on the same day, okay, yeah, that warrants a second look. Maybe we'll we'll freeze this account and not allow them to you know, really make any communications until we can make a more informed decision. So that's what I mean by being proactive. Um, or you can, you, know, you can be even more proactive by if you have strong enough signals, you can block the account from being created at all. And thirdly, I would say, make sure you have your team, uh, your teams, uh, one, it's like on their radar and their support. It wasn't, uh, this project wasn't something I did on my own either. There was a lot of work um, that other folks helped um, put into it. And so can make sure us, that you, you... Can you give us an sorry? example? Oh, like uh, Victor on this call? <laughs> uh, Victor and no, and but in... Victor's lurking on mute on the Zoom call, everybody. That's a, <laughs> shout out to Victor. <laughs> um, <laughs> I hope he's okay with not to, not to, uh, then, Not to put you on the spot, man. <laughs> You know. uh, no, but in all seriousness, Thanks. you know, with, uh, Jay uh, just wanted to see if you were listening. That's all. But yeah. you, you passed. Uh, Congratulations. With, um... <laughs> There's Victor. Uh, no, but in all seriousness, with with legal, um, you don't want to be engaging with known fraudsters uh, without your legal team knowing about it. I don't think all of my, any of my previous employers would have liked or appreciate like they would not have liked me doing this for understandable reasons. So just making sure you're you're protecting yourself. I guess on a lighter note, also use a pseudonym. Don't use your real name and identity. <laughs> Don't use your because, real yeah. I, I feel like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we're not trying to insult anyone's intelligence out there. That's only something yeah. I would do. I'm going to write that on a post-it note the next time I dive in and make sure it's right on front of my computer so I don't forget. Well, you just use a pseudonyms or a moniker for our next webinar we do together. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, uh, Victor, I I didn't I didn't realize we had legal. You know, I have a JD, unfortunately. Oh. <laughs> I, uh, I, I went to I went to Seton Hall Law School class of way too long ago to want to say it out on the 
podcast. <laughs> I think it was 2010. Yeah. Dating myself. So, well, Jane, I, this has been a really wonderful conversation. I can't thank you enough for coming on the program and sharing this. It, it's heartbreaking, but not surprising that these types of things are still going on and I'm sure will continue to go on, but it's always good to know that, that someone out there in the community is fighting the good fight. And I personally support your insane endeavors into <laughs> the world of fraud. So thank you very much uh, for, for doing the investigation at all. And then also for coming on here and talking to us about it. Oh, thank you. That's so kind of you. Thank you so much. It's uh, it's the best part of my job. I would say it's my favorite part. So I'm happy to do it. Yeah. And I, I highly, highly recommend checking out the blog.swift.com. Sorry, sift, blog.sift.com. Um, we'll link to it in the show notes. Just really, really great work. Thank you so much. And we'll let you sign off. Tell everyone where they can find you on the web and then we'll, we'll, uh, call it a day. Oh yeah. Uh, so you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Jane Lee. I think you just searched Jane Lee. That is Sift, your real name. And I would, right? yeah, it is my real name. Okay. Sure. <laughs> I am using a, a fake name on my dating profile now. <laughs> <laughs> Jane Dotley. Is that it? If you see a Jane Dotley, yeah. you'll, I will we won't tell anyone. <laughs> Well, thanks so much, Jade. We really appreciate it. And you are welcome back uh, anytime. Please let us know. We'd love to hear uh, some of the other extremely interesting things I'm sure you're up, to, you're up to. So anytime you want to come on, just let us know. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Jane.